0: Hey there, Doc Low. Thank you and welcome to the Documenteers Podcast, the podcast about documentaries, where we discuss a different documentary each week and love and judge and laugh and say plenty of not safe for work things. My name is Bob Sham and I'm here usually always and I love documentaries. And today's documentary ended up being an episode about reminiscing, reminiscing on the early days of Netflix where we first saw this documentary. Reminiscing about our old kitchen jobs and reminiscing about our own local eateries manned by cantankerous street philosophers right here in Nashville. That's where we're based out of. But you don't have to be from Nashville to enjoy this podcast. Documentaries are worldwide, and we thank you for listening. We do reference a lot of our home city, though. But for today's episode, Stuart and I go to New York City, the island of Manhattan, and at a unique little restaurant ran by the inimitable Kenny Shopsin and the Shopsin family. Stuart has been chomping at the bit for this episode. We finally get to Matt Mahurin's I Like Killing Flies. And you can find the whole thing on YouTube. I'll link to it in the show notes. Next week on this podcast, Akil comes running back into my arms to discuss a doc of his choice. I promised him this after I made him watch those Bill Murray documentaries. You can find that episode in our timeline somewhere if you haven't heard it yet. Akil and I have spent the majority of our lives poring over comic books of many varieties. Next week's doc is a business case study of some hotshot comic book creators striking out on their own and finding success and plenty of ups and downs. An inspiring story that spawned, no pun intended, some of the most iconic and edgy comic book mediocrity ever. Nerds already know we're talking about the story of image comics and the nerd superstars that birthed it in Patrick Meany's The Image Revolution, which you can also find in a Variety of places. Next week, right here on the Documenteers. I haven't come to a final choice on the music clips I'm doing for this episode. I'm guessing you will probably briefly hear the band Wings and uh, the Rolling Stones. You will definitely hear the Stones on the Fade Out, which is dedicated to the memory of Eve Shopson. Shopson's is moving neighborhoods in this documentary we're about to discuss, and Shopson's has moved a few times since this documentary. You can find it currently in the Essex Market at 88 Essex Street. In Manhattan if you happen to be around. Moving on now, documenteerspodcast.com for more information about us and lots of pictures of tiny Werner Herzog heads. Also, we need reviews. Reviews anywhere are great and especially on Apple Podcasts. Giving us five stars in a review is an effective and easy way to support the show. If you've been listening for a while and haven't done so, We would love it if you did. If everyone who had listened every week gave us five stars in a review on Apple Podcasts, also known as iTunes, we would then be a big enough podcast to have scathing web articles written about us. When you're throwing content into the internet ocean, you measure the journey in love, but the thresholds you break are measured in hate. There's a place for both in this fucked up social organism that is online. Enough of me, let's move on to more me and Stuart as we drop in on the Shopsin family back in 2002. Keep on docking. Here is a motion picture film, a thousand feet, 16,000 separate photographs. Let's tidy up this
1: tangle of film by putting it on a reel. You gotta kill flies all the time because flies continually the neighborhood. There are certain flies, like you said, dread to be high flyers. That's how they survive in the restaurant because they're high flyers. All the ones that are low, we kill. You know, it's very existential killing flies. You kill them one at a time, and that's it. They're dead. You know, it's almost like a, a, a national politics.
0: Stuart, welcome (sighs) to this hot August here in Middle Tennessee. Maybe we can cool down a little bit to a place that may be a little bit cooler, but you could probably smell a lot more uh, trash, body odor. It's It's not officially a themed month, but this whole month has been about giving back to the co-host, giving them something that they want to do. And Stuart, in this episode, we're talking about someone who I believe is your uh, religious leader, right? Your spiritual guru. Yeah. Someone that you've talked a lot about. You've probably been bringing up since we started the podcast, you've been bringing this documentary up. And when you're not recommending we review porn, you're pro- you're usually talking about this. You talk about this in porn Stuart is demanding that we review porn. It's new to me. I think that's like a year four thing. Four score? What are you saying? But I do have some great clips for when that time comes.
2: So you've been researching porn?
0: I'm just setting it up. Setting up for the eventuality.
2: So based on the fictional account that I want to review porn, you've been researching porn?
0: It's not fictional. You can't roll with it. You can't just be the porn hungry heel.
2: I must have been... uh... I must have blacked out during this uh, episode where I mentioned how much I want to review porn. Because I don't recall
0: it, sir. You can't. You can't just roll with this and pretend well, a, to I'm be a, a degenerate? You might know, but I'm a Puritan. You are kind of Puritanical.
2: You notice my outfit, right? I'm dressed like a fucking pilgrim. <laughs> for a fucking reason.
0: Yeah, you couldn't hold out till our Thanksgiving episode to do this? I this guess you my, don't.
2: This is my outfit. I mean, you, you might not remember, but every week I've been wearing this pilgrim outfit.
0: Fine. You haven't been recommending we review porn no I have
2: look I'll come (laughs) I'll come clean he's right I've been asking that we review porn oh boy and we finally did
0: but for this episode we get to the closest thing it's like porn without the sex food porn food porn
1: this is kind of like feeling somebody's pussy up you know yeah you get to put this thing in your hand that has like this like you know you know, what I mean? it's like viscous feel to it. It's not
0: bad at all. Now, when uh, Netflix first came out, it was essentially like a documentary app, right? I actually missed the right. golden age of Netflix. Yeah, when documentaries
2: were so cheap for them to get on their streaming. Yeah, service, like so eighty percent of, of them.
0: Eighty <laughs> percent of their. Interest. They still
2: kind of do, right? There, uh,
0: there is definitely still a ton of documentaries. Documentaries are probably the most popular in those formats of those streaming TV devices. And I'm glad that hasn't changed. But back then, it just seemed like, what documentary on Netflix streaming are we going to watch today? Right. And I remember this was on Netflix when I first saw it. But it's not on there now. It's actually, you can find this on YouTube. I'll link it in the show notes. It is the slice of life film about one of the most unique cooks in New York City. And go fuck themselves. And he's gone. He's not with us anymore, right? As of now? He died September
2: uh, last year.
0: And we're talking about Anthony Bourdain. No. Uh, <laughs> I'm eating out of an open wound. We're talking about Kenny Shopson.
2: Right, an actual chef. Ooh, burn.
0: <laughs> Take that, ghost of Anthony Bourdain.
2: As I walk down the streets of Laos. <laughs>
0: That's my impression. You know, there is a lot about him that like kind of annoyed me about Anthony Bourdain, but his um, Kitchen Confidential book, It's actually legitimately uh, an interesting cultural insight to the mentality and cultures that go in like so many levels of restaurant kitchens. That is actually um, a high recommendation.
2: Also, the supplement at the back of the book of all the best cocaine dealers. Yeah. (laughs) That's pretty helpful.
0: My favorite chapter in that book is the chapter about the heroin addict who makes the best bread in New York, (laughs) and he wants to fire him because he's so unreliable. But when he fucking shows up, his bread is like mind-blowing. That's exactly... In a nutshell, how it can be in the restaurant industry, you can be a fucking wreck so long as you can cook. And in that industry, it's kind of hard to be sober, you know?
2: Now, before you started reviewing porn, you were a kind of a chef, right?
0: I spent about half my 20s from teenager up to like my mid-20s up to maybe 26, 27. I did cook in restaurants a lot. When I was a teenager, I started out waiting tables at a steak and shake. It would move on to doing all kinds of things, including cook there. And then I worked in this like little brewery, family-owned brewery pub in a town called Clarksville, Tennessee. Then I moved to Nashville, worked in a place called the Alley Cat, which has long been gone. Deep-fried avocado. Yeah, it was very popular there. People (laughs) love that shit.
2: Have you made a deep-fried avocado since then?
0: I have not, but I have thought about it. I tell you, though, when I worked at the Alley Cat, we made amazing burgers. And without even trying... The Alley Cat would often be on the best of burger list for the city's great things, you know?
2: Yeah, it was so much easier back then. Yeah, but you, <laughs> but we didn't even
0: try. The only reason we had burgers because people kept trying to order them because uh-huh. originally the burgers weren't on the menu. And then the guy who ran it, his name was Steve at the time, was just like, fine. And he whipped up a burger, put some seasoning in it. And it's like, I still think about these burgers. Like, they were amazing. They were big. We would cook them rare, which is not something you can find a lot of these days, you know. There was a lot of antagonism in this environment, but also there was like a lot of fun. It wasn't a place where I could realistically make my living. Right. You barely made it. So I had no choice but to leave. It was also a time where I drank a lot. I probably did the most drugs at one time. (laughs) <laughs> working at this place. Like I probably tried like 10 different drugs I'd never tried before from like from being around at restaurants and shit. It's just kind of how it went. It, there was ups and there was downs, but I looked back and there was something kind of interesting about it. I learned how to work in these environments and I'm kind of I'm very grateful for what I learned in these environments. At this point, it's so far removed. Gosh, I'm going on. I'm, this movie makes me reminisce about my past cooking experiences.
2: Was the head chef a bit of a Kenny Shopson type?
0: You know, there was a Alley Kent. We, I mean, he was pretty much a crazy middle-aged punker. I don't. <laughs> I think Kenny's pretty goddamn unique. I. You don't meet many like Kenny. But it's common in the restaurant world that everyone has their own unique version of crazy. And he just kind of. It's like trying sometimes working in the kitchens, like trying to fly like a a plane that you know is probably going to crash, and it's like floating it. You want to float it. Can we float it to the ground and without all of us dying? You know, that's <laughs> kind of what it's like. And everybody's fucking too. It's like crazy. Anyway, <laughs> I guess that's normal. People do that. But we're talking about the film about a man named Kenny Shopson. I Like Killing Flies, directed by Matt Mahurin. And we open up on a little place called Shopsins in Greenwich Village, NYC 2002. This place has been there for decades at this point that we're seeing it. And it's going to move very soon. And we'll get more into that later. But we are introduced to Kenny Shopson. When we first see him, what does he look like, Stuart?
2: Well, he's wearing this motorcycle helmet. Yeah. <laughs> and he's walking down the street in an ominous kind of tone is to set.
0: Got a huge gut, suspenders. He's a pretty tall guy.
2: And he's got that t shirt that he always wears.
0: What does the t shirt say?
2: Shopson's uh general store. But uh, if you fold the shirt up. Yeah. A certain way it says eat me on it.
0: Oh. Uh, yeah, yeah. We see him in action. This let me describe this is like a a handheld camera movie. It almost looks like just a digital camera from like 2002 era. There's nothing really fancy about how this movie is filmed. The director does not appear in it at all. And if there is a voice or a hand that comes into a shot, it just seems so Still disconnected. This movie is like a pure sliver of culture documented in yeah. New York City. One of those little pieces in this little neighborhood, Greenwich Village, which who could have fucking afford to live there now? But that also comes up in this too. The ideas of gentrification and change and what they mean. But we see, I think he's boiling bacon. He has a pot. You know how usually there's deep fryers? <laughs> I, I'm I'm not sure if he's deep frying grease in a pot. But he's throwing bacon in it. It looks like he's boiling bacon, but surely he has a deep fryer. It's
2: probably because he has to make so much bacon, right? He's that's got to s- make
0: so much bacon it won't fit in the fryer. It still seems or like Or he's already using a fryer for something else.
2: <laughs> it must, you yeah, don't could, see what the deep fryer is doing at that moment. <laughs> that's true. He, he's probably got a plan. This guy, there's but a method could, to his madness. We learn pretty
0: quickly, right? He could be boiling a bacon in like water or stock or something.
2: Oh, right, to make stock.
0: Maybe, well, I don't think he's making stock. I don't know, I'm just guessing here.
2: He does have over 200 soups on the menu.
0: Yeah, so that's a lot of stock. Is everything chicken stock based? you think?
2: I think he has like a, a bunch of bases and then he makes like, mixes the bases and adds things. Makes each bowl to order.
1: This is a quinoa cilantro soup.
0: Chicken dumpling soup. Sweet potato vegetable soup. Russian cabbage soup with beef. Chicken tortilla and avocado soup.
1: Senegalese shrimp soup. Cuban black bean soup.
0: Now, full disclosure, you've eaten at shops since before. Did you eat at before he moved two blocks?
2: No, I met after he moved. Okay. So, after 2003. That first time I went there must have been, ooh, 2011 maybe. Okay. Maybe even, or, so, it's a whole different world that he's in now. Did the or, food come food, out well, fast?
0: Since, Was it fast? Yeah, relatively fast. Yeah,
2: yeah, it wasn't didn't take a long time. But by this point, it was like, I'm I went to the third iteration of a restaurant. When we come into the story, you know, we learn pretty quickly that he's having to move. Yes, um, from his longtime location that he had been in since 1973. He he has a method. There's like a there's it's madness. It seems like to any outsider, but that's kind of the kitchen experience, right? In a line cooks world, yeah, it's like everything has an eccentric place, you know. Right, mm. like he's got his uh, tongs hanging up above, like the, what is that, the exchange, the heat exchange, what do you call the, that? The hood? The hood. Hey, put that on the heat
0: exchange. <laughs> we get a montage of some of the dishes that he cooks, and sometimes you're looking at it and you're like, what is that? I'm not too sure. <laughs> I think that's chicken, I think that's beef.
2: Yeah, everything, we get that montage of every every customer. It's it's like the documentary like went over and like filmed every customer's food for a day or something.
0: Uh, so we have a little taco
2: fried steak here. A hot turkey sandwich with sausage stuffing on black bread
0: with cranberry relish. The Minda chicken salad, turkey bacon, and coleslaw. The Edmonton.
1: Thai Cobb, cilantro,
2: pistachio, curry, grilled chicken,
0: portobello mushrooms with nookie and cashews.
2: Okra chowder and date nut rice.
0: Egg burrito cheese melt. Yeah, they're and they each <laughs> tell different stories.
2: And I tell Kenny, I'd like some
1: evil skivers. And Kenny says, fuck that. I'm done with the grill. I ain't making you skivies. You want skivies? have them for dessert. You gotta have lunch first. He says, Kim, you want the skivers? Come back here, show me your tits. Most worthwhile flash I've ever done.
2: <laughs> yeah.
0: Some dude ordered a cashew dish I always would order this Patsy's cashew chicken and scallions and lemon juice and cashews. And I said, something tastes different here, but I can't figure out what it is. And then I hear this voice whispering, Noah, Noah, it's my name. And, and Kenny's over at the counter with a handful of of cashews he said he forgot to put the cashews and so he just like gave me this handful of cashews and put it in the in the food it was really nice because i knew there was something missing but i didn't know what it was
2: he's like i forgot the cashews
0: that's another thing Noah. Noah, (laughs) kenny's fingers are everywhere and this is a lot more common in restaurant kitchens than a lot of people like to believe Usually in the more open kitchens, you see people trying to be cautious. I think Kenny's kitchen is somewhat open, but he doesn't give a fuck. Kenny doesn't give a shit about anything. If you walk into the door and he doesn't know you, and his mood is right, he'll just tell you to get the fuck out. <laughs>
1: yeah. I came in, and I just wanted to have a cup of coffee, so of course I got thrown out the door.
0: I wanted coffee, and I got shouted at. Or
1: I came back with four friends, and we got thrown out the door. I had the honor of being kicked out. I think everybody should.
2: He started shouting at her, and my wife and I are sort of hiding behind our menus, hoping that the whole thing
0: would blow over. There's a certain amount that he'll accept. Like, you're not allowed to sit five people as uh the party of five party of five no you guys. cannot you cannot do a party of five should I read the whole thing yes please party of five you could put a chair at the end or push the tables together but don't bother this banged
1: up little restaurant where you would expect no rules at all has a firm policy against seating parties of five and you know you are a party of five
2: <laughs> you cannot become a party of two and a party of three <laughs> you are a party of five
1: that's what we said or if the five of you come back tomorrow and Richard Nis- Richard Nixon mess and try to pretend that you don't know each other, it won't work. You're a party of five. Even if you're a beloved regular, even if the place is empty, even if you bring logic to bear, even if you're a tackle for the Chicago Bears, it won't work.
2: And once you are a party of five, you you cannot un-become a fart party of five. You will always be a party of
1: five. You're a party of five. You will always be a party of five. <laughs> A hundred blocks from here, a hundred years from now, you will still be a party of five. Oh,
2: my God.
1: We, we, that's what happened to us. <laughs> I can't believe it.
0: And this one lady asks, Did you come in if you were six? And honestly, it's a fair question. <laughs> we see him do something like he puts some powdered sugar on a, on a pancake. Also, there's pancakes all over the place. He specializes in those. Macaroni
2: and cheese pancake. Egg and cheese pancake. Barbecue chicken pancakes.
0: A chocolate chip pancakes. Postmodern
2: pancakes. Basically, you, you make some pancakes, and then you chop them up, and then you throw them in pancake batter again.
0: Giant glazed apple milk pancake. And he puts powdered sugar or something on it, and he sets a flat metal spatula on the grill. The thing that's cool about it is
1: how we glaze it. Watch, oh, we see you in a
0: gets it good and hot then he runs it over i'm sure there's some wetness some moisture involved
2: there's sugar he's caramelizing the sugar yeah and
0: he runs it over the spatula on that i don't make much money on this that's really sharp i kind of like that technique but kinney he's a bit of a philosophical guy he quotes a lot of where we've been. He talks about third world countries and what our society does to other places. And he's essentially talking about the history of things like Vietnam and the Cold War. war. That's just the generation he's from, where a lot of his references come from. Yeah, I mean,
2: the, to put the movie in context, this is a year after the events of September 11th. So it's fresh. Like That was a kind of particularly jingoistic period yeah. for the country. Less know? than a
0: year after it went down.
2: And I mean, all the way up
0: until I don't know, two thousand
2: six, maybe people mm-hmm. were still pretty willfully patriotic. Yeah, <laughs> kind of.
0: Yeah, you went to college there for a little while.
2: Yeah, so it was it was an interesting uh, time to be in the city.
0: I would imagine it just if something awful goes down, places like Manhattan, where the source of so much money is, it's just going to be locked down. Was it like police state when the shit hit?
2: Um, you couldn't go past a certain point. Uh, like I wouldn't have been able to go to Kenny's restaurant during certain periods around then. If you didn't live in the neighborhood, you weren't allowed past so, yeah, a certain block. That's frightening.
0: The yeah. restriction. But that, that, that be... was
2: just for like the first month. It was a weird time. It was a kind of a, there was a certain like, you know, feeling where it's like, oh, we made it through that. Yeah. It could have been a lot worse. That's the kind of how. The feeling was so a lot of people kind of is certain openness. I don't know. Maybe it was always there, but I kind of felt more uh, in tune with
0: New York. It uh, seems like oh, a thousand small towns crammed up against each other. Yeah. People are, they got everything they need truly in like a block or two, just based on upon how many people are around and how it services the environment.
2: Right. And a lot of Kenny's customers kind of say that this is my kitchen. Yeah they don't they don't eat anywhere else i could imagine
0: that if you get accepted in a place like shopson's describe what shopson's looks like before pre-moved to shopson's that we see here
2: i mean that's small it's cramped there's probably maybe 10 tables if if 10 tables cluttered
0: as hell when you think about restaurants that open nowadays what they're trying to appeal to this very clean impact font bullshit what some trend sucking styles the image of this is just completely anti a lot of what we see opening up, you know, here in Nashville and I'm yeah. sure new shit that pops up in New York city that tries to hit every trend in the book to, for some kind of blog post review or some shit like that.
2: The style of the food, as we've kind of talked about is um, like, I guess what you'd call back then fusion. That's what they called it. And that's, I guess a kind of, new Americana way of cooking now that's more accepted, but it was like combining
0: ingredients in different
2: ways. Sure. And combining even different ethnic nationalities, foods in different ways. and
0: Something you'd think would be very common in a place like New York City.
2: Right. The menu is uh, constantly evolving and changing.
0: This is a long, this is like an eight page menu, small print, there's so much shit crammed all in this menu.
2: Imagine the Cheesecake Factory mixed with Waffle House.
0: <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. It's a kind of a good description.
2: But with the direct, the uh, interior design style of a Ruby Tuesdays or something like that, like every everything, this, the life of that restaurant is up on the walls.
0: I think a different- Gordon Ramsay type would walk in and say, there's too much shit on your menu. And I think he'd be right when dealing with most restaurants. But with this one, it's just, well, Gordon Ramsay wouldn't make it like five seconds in shops. And he'd get a, he would be out screamed by the master of fuck you, Kenny Shops.
2: <laughs>
0: and then go fuck themselves.
2: Yeah, I think his head would be ripped off quickly.
0: I loved the part where, because Kenny is constantly experimenting with his ingredients, he talks about putting, how exciting it is to put ingredients together that don't seem to go together but he acknowledges that it doesn't always work so sometimes to understand what went wrong or what is off about his food if people leave a certain amount on their plate he'll walk over in front of whatever customers in there and just like eat the people's leftovers to (laughs) see what it tastes like what
1: was wrong with this soup and i check on all the food too if anything's left over hmm why and we'll taste it to make sure like
0: there's nothing wrong with it. I would, I just imagine that that's how Kenny uh, gets his food every day just eating the leftovers of his customers. Yeah, but that's how he <laughs> finds out if what he made was truly successful or not. <laughs> if they don't eat it and he tastes it, <laughs>
2: hey, how else are you gonna know?
0: <laughs> these are envi- there's certain places that I crave now that seems so rare, these restaurants, these places to eat. I love it if it's definitely a family owned thing. If it seems um, something that looks incredibly lived in, as cluttered as Kenny's uh, original Shops restaurant seems, it does seem like it's definitely a home. It does have that kind of comfort. We had a restaurant here, and the food actually sucked. It was awful, but it was a place called uh, the Gerst House. This restaurant, had been open for like a long fucking time, but the environment in it, you remember, do you, have you ever been there? Yeah. The environment in it, they had like these head, these taxidermied heads all over the <laughs> walls that were probably older than ever, er- anyone who worked there. And it just had this very lived in environment. I remember feeling very comfortable being in there, but the food was fucking shit. <laughs> it was like, do you
2: remember the old one when it was all family style tables?
0: Yeah, that's the original German style eatery. Yeah. Yeah, it was
2: like very, it was much smaller, like maybe, maybe even a quarter of the size. Then mm-hmm. it was like a block closer to the stadium where the stadium is now. Like, yeah. That's where it was. Wow. And it was like a row house or something. Was else. it good back then? No. Yeah. Not that I remember, but yeah. I was, I don't know that I liked anything at that age because I'm talking when I was like,
0: a kid. oh, sure. Well, that was a long time ago. And it is unfortunate. That place has never been good. But it looks like a place that would be good. But anyway, that place was open almost 100 years in some form or fashion. And it closed fairly well, recently. Well,
2: now the uh, there's some aspect of that that's like taken hold in Nashville. Yeah. Because you still have the beer, right? That Yazoo, which is like a local brewery, took sure. over their beer. So, so they did one thing right. You know, right. I, even after all that mediocre German food, there were a few things on the menu. I think I tried that. Eventually I kind of just was like, yeah, this is all right.
0: Yeah. You kind go of got to know this. how to order with certain places. So it's like, you can't, there's some places you can't go loose, you know?
2: Maybe it was like the straw off or something.
0: Ethics come up in Kenny's rhetoric. Sometimes
2: hey, Kenny, what's up with the candy?
1: People take candy. Oh, you, this is like a documentary, uh, small question for a big answer. <laughs> Fuck
2: yourself. Yeah, he says fuck yourself constantly.
0: Yeah, because he's the master of the fuck you. But he often wonders about the morality of his profession.
1: Everybody is seven years old. This is a mature person. Has a job, a family. He's going to die someday, and he's going to go to Wall Street and slaughter the third world nations today. And he's having chocolate chip pancakes for fucking breakfast. Good for him, huh?
0: that balance between what he does that's destructive to humanity and society, and trying to find his peace with that. I kind of relate to that a lot. I feel like I have these uh, moral values that I understand, but we always have the struggle of dealing with, knowing how to deal with ourselves contradicting those values. And it seems like half of this movie is about that fact. It becomes like this struggle somebody who truly tries to create
1: something beautiful and lovely and people who create things to uh, neutralize the venom that they produce every night in their dreams and that I'm definitely the second type that I cook to neutralize some type of Freudian mother breast related problem that resurges in me just like Old Faithful all the time and I can't and I can't get rid of it. It's in there,
0: it's in there, it's it's mixed in, worse than AIDS could be mixed in. As simple as this film seems from a camera work perspective, it does kind of edit together and come together in this cohesive, almost like a what we learned today, but it's not that cheesy, it's kind of still blunt and all coming out of Kenny's mouth. But it's all, But half of this movie is trying to find the balance between morality and selfishness, because he acknowledges he respects kindness and good things. But he also acknowledges that he's a fucking giant dick who can like shit on people at the drop of a hat.
1: I almost do better with assholes. It's a very adversarial relationship, a restaurant, with new customers. With old customers, it's really intimate and family-like. But all new customers, because I've been here like 32 years, they have to prove it to me that they're okay to feed.
2: It's something I relate to in the male psyche, right? That uh, While being a male. I don't know. There's this certain like admission. You're like, it's okay if I say I'm an asshole, I can be an asshole. I don't know that I necessarily agree with that though.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, sometimes and with people who've known me for a long time, I admit I can go pretty hard if I get like wound up. So I kind of got this casual asshole reputation with a lot of people I know. I personally don't feel like I'm as big an asshole as some people think I am, but I feel like I'm a direct guy. I think I'm an asshole for a Southerner, but maybe just kind of normal in a lot of other places, you know? I don't know. I feel like if people think you're an asshole and you do something kind and sincere, somehow it means a lot because it's a lot more convincing than someone who's just goes to the automatic politeness. Right.
2: Well, the thing he says towards the end of the film, right, is that it's uh You know, everyone's an asshole. That's what he kind of says. That's our
0: moral. We got to work up to the moral. Everyone's an asshole. You got to learn. You have
2: moments where you're a nice guy.
0: He mentions this, and he mentions this when we're introduced to this guy. I didn't catch his name, but he quotes. A lot of what I do in my job is merely helping wealthy people get wealthier. He owns a building, and he's like, I got this space here. Your lease is going to be up here at the old Shopsons area. You can move two blocks up the street into this building that I do, and I'll help you out. So this guy, he says his job is to make wealthy people wealthier. So automatically, we're dealing with someone who's probably, when you're talking about that balance of morality and selfishness, this guy's definitely a lot more on the shithead side, your typical New York money bag dude. But he has a very positive relationship with Kenny. And I think Kenny's very conscious of what he does he's trying to balance it out. But he also says something along the lines of... Which is the big
1: demarcation point, I think, in human behavior. If you treat people with respect who don't deserve it, it's a mark of high civilization. Because you never know who's only temporarily deserving of bad behavior. So you try to treat everybody with a morality that makes you a good person, not whether or not they deserve to be treated well.
0: I struggle with that. If you're someone who... Actively hurts people, it's hard for me to get on board. I definitely struggle with that, but I can see the value in having that kind of an attitude. I mean, he's got
2: some really fucking weird, half-baked philosophies. Like, have you ever given the whole thing, like, he thinks until your kids are
0: 18, you should be able to kill them if you want?
2: (laughs) It's two different people almost, right? But the same, all from the same person.
0: (laughs) Now he's going into this new place two blocks away, but there's a restaurant that's leaving there. I I didn't catch what kind of restaurant it was exactly. They're
2: called the Magic Carpet, and I guess they'd been there for decades. Yeah, for a much while. Like Shopsins was it? It's a location, but they'd been like a nightclub. They had belly dancing on the yeah yeah in the window, and it seemed like they hadn't been on their game though for some time, and maybe uh, they weren't. But they weren't ready to let go.
0: But, but Kenny goes in to check the place out. Of course, the guy who runs that place, Samir, is as you could imagine, pretty emotional.
1: I and you're not buying this the, the, the business from us, you know we're giving you I understand. For free so don't ask so much think for a little thing please yeah. it's we are sick already like, let's let us go just finally you know what I mean so or, thing, or, or, the or, or, detailed thing or, or, you know really, really you, are, you you weren't feeling that way when you went from 30 thousand stop 30, look look the, look the two of you Please, that you know something. Okay. I, I'll tell you something. No, we we Samir. we we have a deal, Samir. and we have some people offer us three hundred thousand fucking thousand dollars, three hundred fucking thousand dollars in this place. You know, two week two week ago before before that happened,
0: they have a very interesting confrontation, because Kenny often comes in hot, and yeah. if you don't know him very well, you can you would definitely maybe react a little hard to his what seems to be antagonistic behavior. Kenny's wife, Eve, wants this place very badly. And I think a lot of people, including his uh, buddy, Jose, who he considers part of the family, he's a cook who works with him. That isn't one of his relatives. And they're very close. Jose's in this a lot, working his ass off. And everyone who works in the old shops is actually very excited. And Kenny is definitely going to move because things are changing in his own neighborhood that he can't help but you can tell he's swishing the morality of this movement back and forth and he's doing it. And I think that when he talks about like having to balance your assholeness with your morals and understanding that you're an asshole, like I said, that's what this movie is all about. Cause Kenny's having to deal with that because he doesn't actually want to hurt Samir, but he's going to get what he wants to get for his family.
2: So
1: just please don't... Yeah. Okay. We, we are giving you, you, you everything. Kenny, Kenny. And we Ken wish Samir. you good luck. Kenny. Kenny. You know what I mean? Kenny. Kenny. Samir, you're right. I'm wrong. I apologize. I'm sorry.
0: Especially since he's getting this deal by this real estate New York dude who's probably a dirtbag. Let's face it. But he understands that there's some shadiness to it, But it's just kind of how he's got to do it. And I think that's where the morality tale of the movie comes in.
1: You're absolutely We're right. We're going out kids family. I'll stop so, Since when I stopped I'll your wife, stop I, okay. acting like an All asshole. Right. I'm sorry. Okay? Okay? You accept my apology? All right. I'm very sorry. Okay. Let's go to the basement.
0: He's got like, what, five kids? We see his daughters. He has one daughter. Also, there's a lot of... The camera will just stop. And that's an interesting choice. What did you think about that?
2: I don't know. I guess they, I think they wanted us to reflect. I want, I think they wanted it to be like the chapters in a book. Yeah. You know what I mean like here's, you have to flip this whole page cause there's nothing here
0: because the environment of shops is so busy and then you go outside of it and you got New York city, which is just fucking busy. Then when that camera stops and you see nothing moving as a viewer, it kind of jerks you back in. Like something seems like off. Interesting technique to use when this person uh, Matt obviously didn't have like a lot of fucking gear and sh- it seemed like anyone could make this movie but I think there's some editing the way it's all pieced together is a pretty smart way of doing it yeah he tells the story of a crazy of a crazy lady he used to live around
1: when I was really young I, I was as heavy as I am now and I lived in 38 March Street next to a woman who was really crazy I mean every time I came home you fat. Found- Jew, bastard every night for years and then i went on like a diet and i lost a lot of weight and one night i came home and she says you jew bastard and i went there so holy shit she complimented me i turned around and i said thanks betty
0: and uh, another story about kenny yelling at a moyle
2: right which is like a rabbi that that performs brisks which is like a traditional kind of uh, circumcision, I guess, for yeah, a yeah ceremonial yeah. thing.
0: He wasn't extremely thrilled about the place because there was a big 20-pound ham cooking up on the
1: counter. I think he disliked Kenny so much, he said something nasty to him about the uh, weenie that he just worked on. And Kenny went charging after the guy and was screaming at him.
0: Everybody all day was absolutely persuaded that Zach's foreskin ended up in one of the dishes. Or perhaps
2: in several. <laughs> <laughs> that weren't cooked. I, I can't believe that. But.
0: Oh, that seems a little hardcore, yeah. Like the New York version of Fried Green Tomatoes, right? Oh. <laughs> you remember Fried Green Tomatoes? They cooked the, the wife beat her husband, and then they barbecued him, you know. Did anyway. they? I don't remember that. Yeah, it's been a long time since I've seen it, too. But they, like, uh, murder and cook someone.
2: That's a wholesome movie, too. But right? they
0: were a bad person, Stuart. Oh, were they? Yeah. <laughs>
2: Well, you can kill bad people, right?
0: There's this dude here in Nashville. I don't know if he's still operating. I don't think he is. But they used to call him the Sushi Nazi. You know what I'm talking about, don't you, Stuart?
2: Yeah. What's his name? What's his name? Kins. Uh, I think Sam.
0: Sam Sushi. Yes, Sam. I saw a guy with a Sam Sushi tattoo. Really? Yeah. Once. (laughs) Sam Sushi. I don't think he's around. I think he was. So he
2: briefly went to Acme that new place on their second floor, they have a sushi bar in the back Mm -hmm. and he was briefly there. And I went to try and experience Sam's all up Acme. And uh, they were like, yeah, he's gone. And then, uh, then as I sat there and ordered sushi, the uh, sushi chefs proceeded to tell me how terrible the sushi was and how
0: awful (laughs) it was. And, And they're like, he just used too much rice. He uses a lot. He, he does go for a quantity.
2: And they told me the story is like that. From their perspectives, like, yeah, he just wanted to make sushi. But he also But he just didn't know how. So he just made his own he made up his yeah. own
0: sushi. But he also um But it was the cheapest it was like, cheap
2: five dollars for a huge thing of, yeah with two rolls of sushi. Maybe it was ten dollars. I can't remember. Yeah. It was, it, was it was cheap. Like, you could get like a deal quantity like,
0: of sushi. See, but the thing is, if you came in and he felt like you were ordering too much, he'd say, No, you order this amount. Yeah, he exactly. would tell you how to order. He and, had, if he, uh, and if he didn't like you, he would just tell you to get the fuck out. And so everyone started calling him the sushi Nazi.
2: Yeah, he had that. Remember, he had that weird ordering system where you had to write your order down on a piece of paper and put a quarter on top of it.
0: <laughs>
2: and if he wasn't ready for you to order, this is this happened to me. He would be like, "Sit down." Yeah, and then I'd go sit down, and he'd like glare at me and give me a nod when he <laughs> was ready for me to order.
0: Now, if I'm being honest, his sushi wasn't that great. But it was cheap, and you did get a lot of food.
2: But plus, like, you enjoyed it more because you had to earn
0: it. That yeah, you know what I mean. There's kind of an environment like that here in Shopsons. But Angela used to go to Sam's all the time. Really, and Sam liked her.
2: Yeah, he (laughs) he
0: never yelled at her. But there were several times where she would walk in, and other people walk in behind her, and he would kick them out. And have her lock the door.
2: Oh yeah, I know so that. more
0: people couldn't come in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was always afraid to go in there with her. It's 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 important to have that for her to have that relationship with that person, especially who's so notorious and can just fly <laughs> off the handle <laughs> that I was super paranoid about like ruining it for her. So most of the time, I was just she would just get something for me because he wouldn't tell her no, but he would yell at like all the other people.
2: I remember one time I went in there. Uh, when i had been going regularly, I ordered uh, the Misa soup. Yeah. And he's like, no, you can't order it. You can't have that. And then uh, <laughs> a, a couple of times later, I would like try it again. But I had somebody with me. It's like he only would let you order the Misa soup if there were like three people that also wanted it because he made a specific amount of it. Yeah, yeah. When he made it, you know, it had to be a certain, like one of the best miso soups because it wasn't like your typical miso soup. Oh, yeah. I never had his miso. It was full of like vegetables and I make (laughs) a big pot of it and just literally bring out the pot. Yeah. be like, have as much as you want. He
0: was a quantity dude. Like that was his thing. And that's not, you don't see that in a lot of like sushi and Japanese style cooking. A lot of it just seems to be kind of small. It's the opposite of that. (laughs) It's so,
2: it was, that was what was so amazing about that restaurant. And it was our own kind of uh shop
0: yeah right? that was I. Th- yeah that's like the closest we can i can think as far as attitude but uh, i the, mean there are places that have been around a long time that i really love some of
2: those those lunch spots in downtown nashville yeah. have that vibe a little bit where yeah, it's yeah. like a small staff that has a set amount of business and they always get that business because they have so many regulars that come there that they don't have to coddle new customers so mm-hmm. they don't
0: I think you see a lot of that as far as the older places that's managed to survive meat and threes are huge here in middle Tennessee. Yeah. And uh, I know Nashville hot chickens kind of a big thing, but it's only within like the last six years that it seemed to be everywhere. But yeah. Before that, you could just go to like two places and get it. But the meat and three environment environment—it's those places like the the, that place behind the liquor store on Charlotte, in that place on Ellington, Wendell Smith, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. In that place on Ellington, where you can get a a little burger, Elliston Soda Shop, yeah, that's it, or Rotiers, uh, Rotiers, both actually. They've both been around a very long time.
2: Yeah, there's a bunch. I mean, there used to be in every neighborhood a little place like that.
0: But those are kind of the places that I like to go to from time to time, like the, that that are lived in feeling, especially Rotiers. Rotiers has that. A, a 1983 feeling like if you know when you go into yeah a- like
2: 1983 it was old so, you know what i mean <laughs> yeah it does feel like another era because
0: that's my childhood sometimes if i go to a place where there's old carpeting and it smells kind of like cigarettes it reminds me of my childhood it re- that's the smell of the 80s
2: well that's how like a lot of the places are when you get out of the city here there's like a lot of little small spots like that in every town there's like one restaurant that everyone went to or goes to
0: yeah those are the places that i miss and those are the things that are kind of dying out if you go into wendell smith's half the customers are elderly they've been going there since they were like our age yeah and it's like what's going to happen when they're gone you know
2: well they'll be all right they own that whole block true they'll probably just keep it going if they want
0: his relationship with his family is interesting there's a lot kenny is good at arguing it's said that he can win an argument even when it's obvious that he's wrong And uh, we all know someone like that. Uh, My wife may have accused me of being like that from time to time. His kids get so emotionally charged up around them. You see them kind of start to tear up. And his wife talks about how she has to fucking just leave and get some air every once in a while. As fun as Kenny can be and how it can seem like such an honor when he is cool with you in his presence... He can be a very hard figure to contend with. And when you, you see it when his family, when he's yelling at his son. right
1: Well, why didn't you keep the meter going? Because I was fucking working. You don't get it? You I really get it. don't get it. I get it. I get it. You really don't get it, do you, Dad? It's just like, unfucking believable I asked you to do a fucking job, and you don't do it. It's really simple, isn't it? What's yeah. to get?
0: About not... Checking on a parking meter. It seems like he's going overboard, but he's saying in such a way, and it's like, he seems to be going a little too hard on this.
1: You stole the fucking extra money, right? You took the in, extra money. in my fucking pocket. You took the extra money. You bought an ice cream with it, but you didn't do what you were supposed to do. I did to. fucking do that. Are you telling way. me that you got that meter going? And that that meter made wrong? as well? Are you telling me you did what you were supposed to do? I guess I You got it. What would it have cost you to go out there and put another two quarters
0: in? Nothing. He is making some points, but this is like this father-son dynamic, and you see his son turn around, and he looks just like he's going to cry. Or hit him. Or hit him. I'm sure he wants to do both. <laughs> but there's a lot of emotions did, with him and his family. But there, Did but, you have
2: a dynamic like that growing up with any of your relatives?
0: Uh, most most of my time was spent with my grandma, and yeah, Absolutely. Because There's a way to do things. My grandmother don't do st- it that way. Yeah. That's it. My grandmother has a stubbornness and I'm sh- I definitely inherited that. So all this family wants to leave, but all their emotions are balled up in this environment.
1: Now you're angry at me?
2: First time I saw it, I was just stricken by that. I'm not saying anything. I'm just telling you how I'm feeling. You're like, yeah, you got angry at me last night. I got angry last night because then it was they weren't angry enough not to bring it up now. When they finally are doing the physical move. That's when all these yeah. emotions break and you see like what's underneath is not is a lot of insecurity about everything. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But then.
0: So they start to move two blocks later and, and the environment appears to be different. This is interesting because he's only moving two blocks and where we live here, two blocks is like the same neighborhood in New York city. Two blocks is a different neighborhood. It's yeah. another world. It's another small town shoved up against your small town. Yeah. So he goes, he's a fixture in this area, and he leaves, and somehow he acknowledges that he's representing this notion of things being different and the changing New York. There's a lot of discussion about gentrification in regards to fast foods coming in, but he acknowledges that he's representing something that is changing to the people who've lived in that two square blocks all their lives. So he goes from being something that you would want to maintain of a New York that people grew up with. And then he kind of becomes indicative of a new New York because he's having to move in this place where he's a stranger. It's bizarre dealing with it and thinking about it in that way. But Eve loves the new place. His wife loves the new place. Kenny's spitting knowledge, and the director's holding a clip mic. Like, he doesn't have a clip, but he's holding the mic. You see it in the shot up to his face.
2: (laughs) Yeah, it happens a lot. It's charming.
0: I actually (laughs) like that. It shows that you, a documentary, you don't need much to be personable. Uh, Jose loves the new digs. And then we shoot to one year later, we find out in 2003 that Eve died. So very sad. Kenny tells a story about a McDonald's that had opened up in the neighborhood and, and the family went and they were like we're going to go eat at this McDonald's and he tells a story about how they're eating and some dudes come in with shotguns to rob the place Yeah. so they're casing the place making sure everyone's like staying where they are
1: all this is going on and your mother who had gotten french fries and was interrupted by the robbers got up went to the counter Get ketchup and then came back and sat and ate her french fries.
0: Seemingly not giving a fuck about the dudes with the shot sawed off shotguns that are standing in the McDonald's. And that's when we get to the moral of the film.
1: The first duty of everybody in life is to realize that they're a piece of shit. They're selfish, they're self centered, they're not very good, and that you're willing to sacrifice. 20,000 people in another country just so that you can uh, go to uh, a Wings concert. You've sacrificed the lives of 100,000 Chinese uh, female babies just so you can rent this fucking camera and do your stupid art project. No problem. You're a piece of shit. Once you realize you're a piece of shit, it's not so hard to take because then you don't have this feeling that uh, you're a good person all the time. And let me tell you something, feeling that you're a good person all the time is like having a brand new car with no scratches on it. It's a real responsibility, which is almost impossible to live up to.
0: He teaches his kids that they're not that terrific.
1: I think that's really important. I always try to raise my kids to understand that they're not that terrific. And that not being that terrific, that's okay because most people who say they are terrific, Bill Clinton, Cardinal Egan, anybody you want to talk about? It? They're not so terrific. Martha Stewart. They're not so fucking terrific either, and there's no nothing wrong with being not so terrific.
0: You know. It's not the same thing that's saying that they're not good or they don't have the potential to be good, but it's the reality of not making sure that they don't put themselves up above other people. I think that's a very important lesson, and uh, it's kind of one of those things where you sound like you want to be against it, but you think about it. And, you know, you're right. No one's that fucking terrific. Kenny says there's nothing wrong with being not so terrific. I don't know. It depends how it depends on how not terrific you are for me. Because <laughs> you can be really, really not terrific. Now, Kenny, this, this is your spiritual leader, man. Yeah. What do you think about this? You got a cookbook. There's still something special that you're going to do. But before we do that, Stuart, we don't rate documentaries in a star rating scale. We rate them in a Herzog rating scale. Because Herzogs are a bottomless triangle turned sideways facing left more than stars. I'm going to give this one through five Herzogs. You're going to give this one through five Herzogs. Right. Put them together like a pancake with some corned beef hash with barbecue sauce on it. And like a strawberry for garnish at a shops and a restaurant. Who knows what that dish is called for best out of 10 Hertzog. Stuart. Yes. What'd you think of this film? I like killing flies by Matt Mahurin.
2: Well, I really liked it. And, uh, I think, uh, you've
0: been talking about this for like a year, so you need to bring it. You can go <laughs> on it. This is your tirade. This is your pulpit, man. Go for it.
2: You know, I'm wondering what I like about it now, Watching it again And I guess it's that uh, You are in Yeah, you're in this world And it's not really A big stretch of time We're looking at a couple months As the main focus of the film And just Really it's The end of, the, of this era of a restaurant And like what it meant To the, to the neighborhood To the, the people that ran the restaurant Clearly to the person making the film you know and the the impact that you can have as just a small individual on a on a, any any number of things you know cooking food for people is a kind of a a commune it's a the right word i don't know just like you're, you're you're putting yourself out there in a real way and uh, nourishing someone it's like a it's a it's like one of the most basic and human things we can do in a certain way is cook with love and appreciation for monetary gain, of course. Yeah. And sincerity, not necessarily
0: necessarily just politeness, but sincere saying what you mean, being honest with how you felt. It's a thing
2: that's kind of lost, I think. Uh, Why are you cooking? As a city grows, those that are cooking for the right reasons tend to gleam and shine that much more than those that are just doing it for notoriety or celebrity or financial gain or, you know, what's the point of running a restaurant if you're going to have all these other people cooking the food? That's kind of the struggle that Kenny comes to at a certain point with everyone else saying like, you know, yeah, but you're a businessman, but he doesn't want to be a businessman. Really, Mm. He wants to have his own extension, an extension of himself, an extension of his his brain really because it's like a creative pursuit and it's an artistic pursuit to make food. It can be.
0: And it seems like on a relative level, Kenny doesn't look like a millionaire or anything, but you got the vibe that he is relatively successful at what he's done. Yeah. And I think he's, I think in this movie we see him dealing with that influence and dealing with that success. He's realized he's actually built something that people want. And this documentary and uh, this cookbook that you brought over—that it's about Kenny Shopson's, uh style and food—also represents that influence. So that moral balance—it's it, this is this whole thing. I don't. I didn't real. It's like a bizarre morality play, but much like our own, there's no real conclusion. It's just learning how to deal with that balance. and being as sincere as possible. You know, we know a lot of people who love movies and try to make films. and It seems strange to me. I've never made a movie, but it seems like a no-brainer to me if I ever did try that. Instead of doing something that would require me to buy buckets of fake blood, why not document something that matters to me? It seems like the perfect introductory way to learn how to pace and tell stories within a film. I don't understand why, you know, I guess the world's full of documentaries. I kind of, I wouldn't I wouldn't mind if there was twice as many documentaries as there were out in the world, because to me, they're important. And I think this film shows how important a documentary can be. This isn't flashy. This seems like something anybody could make, but it captures something that's very real. And there's a lot more um, things that are restrained about it. There's a lot that isn't in it. And there's nothing trying to be cute in this, because... Kenny Shopson doesn't want to be stylish and cute. Even when he's put into this box of trendiness, he seems to not wear it very well. And it's refreshing that this movie doesn't try to go in that direction itself. Mm-hmm. It's very apparent the camera is up in people's faces when people talk about their experience there. It's just like right there. But you know what the camera has to be? Because especially the old shopsons, could you really like back up and get a nice big group? like spacious shot. Everything is in your face at the old shops. And so that's how it's represented when you're talking to individuals. Like their own little personal space is that's their little own microcosm that's in this thing that means so much to them. And um, there's so many movies where people might do that and I'll think it's kind of hack, but this one it just it just seemed perfect. And it made total sense. And it also made me think about my days of cooking and what it meant to me. And looking back, ultimately, I had to be honest with myself. And not only financially did I leave, but I had to ask myself if I really gave a fuck about the people I was cooking for. I cared that I cooked well, you know, I I always made sure I did a good job. And if I, I wasn't some head chef type, but I felt like I was a really good line cook and was fast. But at the end of the day, I had to be like, is this really, you know, what I want to be doing? I like cooking, but I don't give a fuck about all these people that I'm like shoveling burgers out for. But it doesn't mean that that didn't mean anything to me. I just wanted to be realistic because a life in cooking is a hard life. I mean, Eve and Kenny, I mean, they seem older in this movie, but they're not that old, you know. Mm -hmm. They talk about how Kenny never takes time off. The cooking environment can drain you in ways that other kind of jobs can't you see so many chefs just as they get older, become extremely bitter for a variety of reasons. And a lot of people just are in an addictive hole and that we're often the only out is just a short lifespan. It just kind of seems like that. It's kind of like how wrestlers, their lifespan is kind of (laughs) short, you know, cooks kind of, they kind of got to be careful or their lifespans are going to be kind of short based on this, the stress and the, uh, all the drinking that seems to occur in these environments but but there's there's some real shit in here somewhere I and mean, there's some real ideas and some real philosophy and a lot more philosophy than you might get you know in your more rigged bullshit environments definitely more reality than you'd get on an internet comment thread this movie is almost like a good palate cleanser for if you got a lot of fucking shit in your brain that you're trying to process and you're having a hard time There's something about this movie that can twist things into a perspective in its own way. It's near perfect, near perfect. (laughs) Yeah. I'm going to give it a 4.75. (laughs) What? out of five Hertzogs, how many Hertzogs do you give it? You never said, sorry. (laughs) Well, uh, five. You take your five, combine it with my 4.75 You've got as high as you can go without being completely perfect. It almost seems like you should just make it a 10, I guess. Right.
2: What do you want me to do? Give it a 5.5.
0: Whoa. Are you going to,
2: I get one of those once a year, right?
0: once a year, you get to break the parameters of a five. Isn't that true? Okay. Once a year. Since you're OG, we did the first episode together. Once a year, you can break the parameters of a five.
2: Alright then, ten ten herzogs.
0: Yeah, you give it a five point two five, I give it a four point seven five. That's ten out of ten herzogs. Perfect documentary. That's the way mm-hmm. That's the
2: way yeah. <laughs> That's it.
0: Now, Stuart, yeah, you got a little treat for us, or a treat is coming for us.
2: Well, I've been inspired by your your, fi- your final submission to let me force you to watch this movie.
0: <laughs> it's okay. I liked it, obviously.
2: And uh, I've got a Kenny's uh, cookbook, and I've uh, studied it for years, and uh, I, th- I think I've perfected the macaroni and cheese pancake. This it's is my the- own version. It's not the. It's not necessarily the version from the cookbook, but it's. It's a close approximation based on some of the ingredients that you have in the house. Not exactly how I do it at home, but most of the ingredients sure. are present.
0: So. And this is our first cooking with Stewart segment. We're not quite <laughs> done yet. Stick around while we cook with Stewart. <laughs> All right, we're here with uh Stuart Vaughn. We call him Mario Batali. Wait, he's canceled, right?
2: Will you call me that?
0: Yeah, yeah, I call you Mario Batali. Is
2: that true?
0: Behind your back, we do, and you're whipping up some, looks like a pancake mix. See, this is what I call paste. Yeah? White paste. <laughs> like Elmer's glue?
2: It's a... Uh... This is actually the glue that I use for gluing the pancakes together.
0: Oh, yeah. They call it
2: pancake glue. It's an invention that I learned from uh, Kenny Shopson's cookbook. I've approximated
0: it. Kenny Shopson was all about the art of the pancake. And you're making one that is featured in uh, the film I Like Killing Flies the macaroni and cheese pancake.
2: That's
0: right. And this is great because I'm trying not to eat dairy too much. Yeah, I'll, there's no dairy. In this. But I'll, <laughs> There's no dairy in your mac and cheese pancakes?
2: No, there's dairy. And by no, I mean some.
0: Okay. Well, that's all right. I'll just have uh, I'll, my shit will be weird for tomorrow. That's fine. I'm willing to try it. It looks good already. You haven't even made it yet. It looks good. <laughs> Folks, my little recording device slash smartphone was wildly erratic in recording quality with no portion of our cooking segment sounding like the other. So allow me, interrupting Bob Sham, to recap Stewart's mac and cheese pancakes. They were good. We started off making silver dollar ones that were crispy, and they went amazingly well with some Louisiana hot sauce. Then we made a bigger one that was cakier and went better with syrup. They were both very good, and we got the recipe from Kenny Shopson's cookbook called Eat Me, The Food and Philosophy of Kenny Shopson. Then Stuart made a couple more mac and cheese pancakes. He told me these were only for him. He made them very buttery. Then he took his shirt off. He then by hand pulled the pancakes straight out of the skillet and put them on his bare chest and laid on the ground, rubbing the greasy mac cakes up and down on his belly and moaned very loudly. After doing that for a few minutes, he stood up looking very euphoric and then proceeded to lecture me on why we should review porn on the show and how porn is America's true art form and that we will gain a lot of listeners if we switch to a porn review format. This speech went on for I want to say 15 minutes. Then he cried in front of me for 2 minutes and finally without another word he sprints out the door. Didn't see him until the next day when he unlocks my door with a key I didn't know he had, still wearing no shirt to get the maple syrup he left. Yesterday's pancakes were still on the counter. So we recorded this last bit, and there you have it. You'll have to take our word for it because you didn't see it. But those are the silver dollar version and the full size version of Kenny Shopsin's mac and cheese pancakes.
2: And thank you for joining us on another episode of Stewart Cooks.
0: Uh,
2: yeah, I'm Ben Stewart. This is my uh, faithful uh, assistant,
0: uh, Bob, uh, Bob Sham. Bob, Bob Sham. And uh, thank you for coming.
2: Thank you for coming to our show, our episode and,
0: TV show. Come in our kitchen. Audio
2: only uh, TV shows.
0: In our kitchen, everyone comes. That's how. That's our motto. And uh, I don't know
2: why you
0: had to say that. And uh, get it greasy and keep on docking.
1: You know, we never made a lot of money, but. We got tickets to the, you know, whatever, like my Rolling Stones tickets, you know. I, to, to me, music, there's the Rolling Stones and there's everybody else. And every time the Rolling Stones came to town, I would try to get tickets, and at the very last minute, someone would
2: come through with
1: primo seats.
0: Hey, Docolo, before you go, please go to com or select the link over at Documenteers com to vote for Documenteers as Best Nashville Podcast under, under the media category. You must fill out several categories, 25 to be exact, before you can submit. If you're not from Nashville and would like to help us, then look at the show notes for our special episode drop titled Best of Nashville 2019 for several category suggestions and zip codes that you can punch in to help us spread the word about this show. You can also see a list of that over at documenteerspodcast.com. Help us get some local heat. Help us continue to grow this podcast. We like being a representative of Nashville, even if you don't have to be from Nashville to enjoy the show. Thank you very, very much for doing so, and keep on doc.